Let's go ahead and read our scripture passage for our sermon this evening from Psalm 90, verses 1 through 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you will just take this psalm and use it in all of our lives. Help me in the preaching of your word to be faithful to what you would want me to say. And I pray for each one who's here, God, tonight, that you will just use this time and that you will uh, teach us, that you will rebuke us, that you will correct us, that you will uh, help us to follow you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start by talking about the number pi. Pi is a number with infinite digits. According to a BBC.com article in 2019, Emma Haruka Iwao, a Google employee from Japan with the help of Google's cloud computing service, calculated pi to 31 trillion digits. Now, remember what I said a few moments ago, pi is a number with infinite digits. So that 31 trillion, that's, that's, that's just getting started. That's just getting started. The article says that it would take 332,064 years for one of us to say those 31.4 trillion digits. Well, I got curious about 
Who can recite Pi from memory the longest? And there's a website for that. It's called the Pi, it's called the Pi World Ranking List. And so on this website, there are two men from India who hold first and second place for this. So uh, the first one that I'll tell you about is Ravjir Mina. On March 21st in the year 2015, Ravjir recited from memory 70,000 digits of pi. He was 25 years old at the time. Seven months later, on October 21st, 2015, Suresh Sharma recited from memory 70,030 digits of pi from memory. So he beat Ravjir by 30 digits seven months later. That's a, that's a bummer, right? I mean, can you imagine you've spent all this time memorizing 70,000 digits and seven months later, somebody goes and beats you by 30 digits. I tell you, that's gotta be rough. Ravjir took 10 hours to do his 70,000 and, and Suresh took longer. He took 17 hours and 14 minutes to do the extra, well, all of it, plus the 30 digits extra. But while we are amazed at what these men have accomplished, when you compare what they did with an infinite number, or a number with infinite digits, it is still nothing. And the psalm that we are looking at today compares our infinite everlasting God with us as finite mankind. And we need to see this, the comparisons that the psalmist makes. But before we really look at the psalm, let's consider what might have been going on when it was written. The superscription tells us that it is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. That part doesn't show in our bulletins. But if you were to look in your Bible, uh, you would see a superscription there before the psalm that says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. There are a number of different ideas for when the psalm might have been written, but the one that seems most likely associates it with what happened in Numbers chapter 20. There were three main things that happened in that chapter. The chapter begins with Moses' sister Miriam dying. She gets one verse that tells us that she died. Another big important thing in Numbers chapter 20 is that God had given Moses instructions for providing water for the people in the desert, in the wilderness, and he had told him to speak to the rock, and it would issue out water for the people. And we, I think we probably know Moses didn't end up obeying that. He ended up striking the rock with his staff. And he was told by God in this chapter that he would not be able to enter the promised land because of that. And the, the chapter also tells us that Moses' brother, Aaron, died. And all of this happened in, in these events of Numbers chapter 20, they all happened toward the end of Moses' life. So you can see how 
as we consider our psalm, what it must have been like for Moses to lose his sister and his brother in a short time. And Moses knew that his disobedience caused him not to enter the promised land. Another thing to think about is when this psalm might have been sung by the people of Israel. Remember that the psalms are a hymnal. They were the songbook of the people of Israel. And when, when would they have sung this? And one commentator says that it might have been sung during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a feast that God commanded that involved staying in a booth, which would be something like a tent for seven days. And during that time, they were to remember what God had done for them as they wandered in the wilderness. So we don't know any of this for, for sure. Uh, but they are certainly possibilities for what, are, what is going on here. We don't know if Moses really wrote this after what happened in Numbers 20. We don't know if the Israelites really sang this during the Feast of Tabernacles. These are good ideas and possibilities for what's going on. But now let's look at the psalm, and I'll divide it into three sections for us. First of all, in verses 1 through 6, we see that God is eternal but man is, is bound by time. And then in verses 7 through 11, we see that God is angry because of our sin. And then in verses 12 through 17, God is merciful and we pray to him. So verses 1 through 6, God is eternal. We are bound by time. There are lots of images in these verses. It's poetry. We have the image of God being our dwelling place. That can also be translated as our refuge. We have images of mountains, earth, dust, a flood, dreams, grass. And there are also references to time in these verses. A thousand years, yesterday, a watch in the night. So let's talk about some of these images. Mountains are some of the biggest things that we can imagine, and they seem like they've always been there. But before the mountains existed, God existed. And verse 4 compares a thousand years with a watch in the night. And a watch in the night would have been about four hours, thousand years, four hours, putting them side by side and saying, eh, it's, all, it's all the same for God. Verse five also says that we as humans are like a dream. How long do you think a dream lasts? If someone was able to stand next to you or be next to you while you're asleep and hook something up to your brain that could measure that you're dreaming and when it started and when it ended. How long do you think that lasts? You can tell me, give me some ideas here. Okay, Jesse's going for 20. Two, two. Hmm, somehow you all are guessing lower than I thought you would here. I'm surprised. There, see, now that's more like what I would have guessed there. Thank you, thank you, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. So, 
I would have, I, whenever I have a dream, it seems to me like it's all, all night. Like I'm, I go to sleep, I start dreaming and it keeps on going. But, uh, well, okay, you, you conservative low guessers here, you're, you're more on, uh, according to the research that I read, uh, it's, it says that it, it can go from anywhere from a few minutes up to about a maximum of about 30 minutes, 30. So again, it's something that to us can feel like it's long, but it really is quite short. Surprisingly. Well, one thing I'd like to point out from this psalm is it shows many different aspects of God's character, but in this sermon tonight, I'm focusing in on, on one main point of his character or two, two aspects of his character. One of those aspects is that God is different from us. Some other ways of saying that are that he is other than. He's not just like us. He is other than. He is high above us. He is, now here's the fancy theological word, transcendent. Transcendent. So that's one aspect of his character that we see in this psalm that we're looking at tonight. But there's another side to that aspect of, that, of God's character, and that is that he's also near to us. He's intimately acquainted with us. And one more time, you guessed it, there's a fancy theological word for this aspect of his character too. He is imminent, imminent. So God is both of these things at the same time. And that's beyond our understanding. This God who is from everlasting to everlasting in verse 2, who returns man to dust, is our dwelling place. As I said before, that can be translated as our refuge. This God who is completely other than, transcendent, is also very close, imminent, our dwelling place, the place where we come for refuge. That is good. That's comforting to us, and we can rejoice in that. Now we come to verses 7 through 11, where God is angry because of our sin, and also in this section of the psalm, the writer makes a connection as well to say that we are dying. We die because of our sin. In these verses, along with verse 3 of our psalm, we see how Moses is remembering the curse in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve had sinned. In Genesis 3, first God curses the serpent, and then he curses Eve, and he curses Adam in verses 17 through 19 of Genesis 3. So let's listen to those verses now from Genesis 3 for Adam. He said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Genesis 3 associates sin with death, and that's what's going on here. Our passage reminds us that we are children of Adam. Verse 3 in our psalm says, children of man. The word man there can also be translated as Adam. Adam, man, same word in Hebrew. Helps us remember we are children of Adam. Now we come, let's think about verse 8. It points out that our iniquities are before God and that our secret sins are in the light of his presence. Now I'm going to speak to children in the room. Do any of you children, have you had a time when you were doing something that you knew that you were not supposed to be doing and you were close to your parents when you did it, but you thought that they didn't see you, that they didn't know what you were doing, and then they let you know that they knew what you were doing? Have you ever, has that ever happened? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, Silas, I appreciate that solid yes back there. Yeah. Oh, there's another one. Okay, I see. I see those yeses. Yeah. Yeah, I me too. I I can remember doing something like that. And and so I don't know if your parents or your mom specifically maybe said this to you, but but maybe you've heard something like, well, mom Moms know about these things because moms have eyes in the back of their heads. Have you ever heard something like that? Maybe, yeah, oh, there you go. See, that's it. Yeah, so we, we know it's, it's pretty hard to, to do something like that with our mom or dad nearby. Well, our God is holy. He's without sin. He's perfect in righteousness, completely different from us with our sinful nature. He is transcendent, and yet at the same time, he is imminent, close to us. He knows our sins, even our which ones? Our secret sins. Nothing is hidden from him. This doesn't feel so good. Let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, he's our dwelling place. He's our refuge. That kind of closeness, that kind of imminence is what we like. But this kind of closeness, knowing our iniquities, our secret sins, that's, that's when we want God to be busy doing other things. We want him to be taking care of something else, somewhere else, while we're off over here doing our secret sins. But God is transcendent and imminent at the same time. So let's take a moment to examine ourselves. What is your secret sin? 
What do you feel like hiding from God? Verse 8 lets us know it doesn't do any good. But then now we come to the last part of the psalm, which is filled with requests. Here we see that God is merciful, and we pray to him. These requests are expressed as commands here. If you know a foreign language, if you know your English grammar really well, you'll recognize that these verbs in these verses are imperatives. They're commands. Listen to them. Moses, he says, teach us, return, have pity, satisfy us, make us glad, let your work be shown, let your favor be upon us, establish the work of our hands, commands, commands, imperatives. How can we go from the verses before our sin causing death, us being children of Adam, God being angry and wrathful because of our sin. How can we go from all of that to this, to making requests of God? And the answer is God's character is what makes it possible. Let's think about verse 14. I recently read a book by a singer and a songwriter named Michael Card called Inexpressible. That's the name of the book. And that book is his study of a certain word in Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew word is hesed, which is translated in many ways in many versions of the Bible, but we most often know of it as words like loving kindness, steadfast love, mercy. Those are ways that it's often translated. And in verse 14, we come to that word, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And Michael Card in his book points out that this word satisfy is a word that in the Bible most often is used to talk about being satisfied with food. And so when would Moses and the people of Israel have been satisfied with food in the morning? I, I'm not hearing an answer. What was that? Breakfast? Breakfast, manna for breakfast, yes, yes. The manna would come in the morning. The bread from heaven would come in the morning, and they would be satisfied with that manna, that food. And so let's put these ideas together in the context of the whole Bible and the New Testament. Christ did his work on the cross. He took our sin upon himself and his body was broken. And then he rose from the tomb. Does anyone remember what time of day it was when the tomb was found to be empty? The morning. Yeah, I heard that. Thank you. The morning. And 
And Jesus tells us in John 6 that he's the bread. He is the bread. The bread from heaven. That satisfies us. So Christ is the ultimate expression of these aspects of God's character that we've been talking about. He's, he's transcendent. He's different from us because he is God. He's sinless. He's perfect. But he's also imminent. He's near us. God with us. Emmanuel. He became man. He took our sin upon him. He left heaven and lived under the law. And he shows God's steadfast love to us. So it is because of God's character that we can approach him boldly, like we see Moses doing here in this psalm. But we humans have a hard time with who God is in this way that I've been talking about. I've been kind of bouncing back and forth as the psalm does between transcendence and imminence. And I've been pointing out how God is both of these at the same time. And we have a hard time with that. We tend to see him as one or the other. Or another thing we do sometimes is we change the meaning of the words. We tend to think of transcendent, which I've been defining for us as different, other than high above us, exalted, we tend to think of that, or some people like to change that to mean distant, uninvolved. No, that's, that's not what that is about. It, we have a hard time accepting that he's different from us and yet near us at the same time. Again, a time for reflection. What do you need to adjust in your view of God based on this psalm and this sermon today? Well, we tend to struggle also with this part about imminence. I talked about how we like him to be our dwelling place. We like him to be our refuge. But that part about him putting our secret sins in the light of his presence... Ouch. Or maybe we think about him knowing our sins, but we don't think of him as our dwelling place, as our refuge. Can we welcome him to be both at the same time? Can we open ourselves to receive both aspects of God's character in this? May we rejoice in God being different from us, and yet at the same time being near to us. May we rejoice that he is our dwelling place, and yet at the same time he knows our secret sins. May we rejoice in that. And may we draw near to him each day and ask him to satisfy us with his steadfast love. Lord, satisfy us, we pray. Thank you that you sent Jesus to be the bread of heaven for us and that his body was broken for our sin. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves and put ourselves in the light of your presence to show us our secret sins. 
Help us to adjust our view of you where we are skewed in our view. Help us to base it, Lord, off of you and your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.